This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of WrestleNomics Radio. I'm Brandon Thurston, and I'm joining you for the second time in three days. You know, the, the Twitter bio for this podcast says that WrestleNomics is an occasional podcast. I tend to do this about once every quarter, and when there are emergencies, big news that emerges in the world of wrestling economics. But there's just so much news lately in the world of wrestling economics and the world of WWE business that I think I have more to say, even though I said something Thursday night about the WWE annual report and Q4 report. When we last spoke here on WrestleNomics Radio, we did not yet have the 97-page 10K, the WWE annual report for 2019. Now we have it in our midst. 79 pages, a, a report about usually that long, but 79 pages a report even longer than the PDF, the WrestleNomics 2019 full industry report, which you can still get at tinyurl.com slash WrestleNomics 2019. Get it now for $5. Everything you need to know about the wrestling industry. Really the most thorough uh, work uh, regarding WrestleNomics that I think I've ever done. I've gotten a lot of nice feedback on it. A lot of people have ordered it, and I, I think it'll be worth your while if you go get it at tinyurl.com slash WrestleNomics 2019. But there are things to say today about what we learn from the annual report. We're going to talk additionally, speculate wildly about some possible streaming partners for the WWE should they sell their pay-per-view events, the, the rights to their pay-per-view events, which it sounds like they will. They're being shopped. We may talk about what does it mean to be a WWE customer in 2020. And one of my favorite topics that we don't talk about very much at all, and I think it really makes up the underlying atmosphere or attitude among conversations that are WrestleNomics-related a topic that I like to call economic justice. So considering the new possibility that if you missed the news, on Thursday, WWE did its quarterly report where it was revealed that uh, it looks like WWE and Visic Man are looking at taking pay-per-views, maybe some of them, maybe all of them, off of the network and selling them to a major streaming player. So what I want to do today, now, is to lay out the various scenarios that may unfold. And I think there's four or five big questions to consider when we think about how this is all going to go down. Question number one, who is the partner? Who is the big streaming player that WWE sells the pay-per-view event broadcast rights to? Number two, what is it that they exactly sell? Do they sell some of the pay-per-views, all the pay-per-views, some of the takeovers to? Number three, once the pay-per-view events are sold to the big streaming player, how does the big streaming player offer the WWE pay-per-view events to customers? Is it part of a package? Is it an individual pay-per-view? What is it? Then number four, depending on what the answers are to the first three questions, with what's ever left, whatever is left unsold, what becomes of the WWE Network? And then finally, number five, what we're talking about here is, is generally a U.S. strategy. Now, there may or may not be some additional international markets, depending on what the streaming player is, but this is not a global strategy. So the question is, what becomes of the international markets? How are the international markets offer these pay-per-views going forward? So those are the five big questions, and let's, let's go through each one in some more detail. Possible partners. Who are the big streaming networks? Who are the majors, as, as Vince McMahon called them on the conference call? The majors. And I can come up with about 11 conceivable possibilities here. Peacock, DAZN, ESPN+, Hulu, 
Amazon Prime, Netflix, CBS All Access, yeah, HBO Max, Showtime, Apple TV Plus, and Disney Plus. And obviously some of those would fit better than others. Peacock, which is yet to be launched, which is owned by NBC Universal, WWE's partner for broadcasting Raw and NXT. Peacock, at least according to Wikipedia, launches in the middle of April with a wider launch uh, in the summer. Peacock seems to be the easiest prediction to me because the parent company is already a WWE partner. They already have Raw, so their interests are already there in, in promoting Raw, which is supposed to promote pay-per-view events. So those interests are aligned. And I, I think someone raised to me the idea that, well, if pay-per-view events have, have ended up being something that was on the, the Peacock streaming service, well, how would Fox feel about that? Fox is broadcasting SmackDown. Fox isn't going to like that. And I, I think that's something fair to consider. I don't think that, that that's a prohibitive factor, though. When you got Fox, is already um, Fox already doesn't have exclusive broadcast rights of WWE content as far as Raw is on the USA Network already. Not that SmackDown necessarily promotes Raw specifically, but it promotes the WWE brand overall, which in part is promoting viewership of Raw, I guess. Maybe more importantly, I mean, pay-per-views already uh, exist on the WWE Network, and SmackDown already exists to promote pay-per-view events that are happening on the WWE Network, which is not an, uh, an entity that's owned by Fox. So I don't see it as all that different of a situation. Another possibility, zone, which already broadcasts Bellator events and a lot of boxing events, it seems like adding WWE to their offering would line up with those interests as far as combat sports. DAZN, by the way, because I want to consider the parent companies of all these services, DAZN is an independent company not owned by a larger parent. ESPN Plus, owned by the Walt Disney Company, already has the big deal with UFC for their pay-per-view events, which they are still selling as individual purchases as the exclusive pay-per-view provider for UFC, basically guaranteeing UFC money in a great pay-per-view year every year. And I think one thing we have to keep in mind when we think about comparing the UFC-ESPN relationship to a WWE and, and mystery streaming service relationship is that UFC and ESPN, I think, are especially ideal partners in a way that there probably isn't going to be the same synergy for WWE and a streaming partner. UFC and ESPN line up really well because ESPN is a very influential player in the sports media world. Essentially, ESPN is promoting UFC. Sports fans are tuned to ESPN's media on whatever platform and are seeing the UFC coverage and are being told how to purchase the event. I don't see anything similar lining up for WWE and any of these other streaming players, even in the case of ESPN itself, if ESPN Plus were the one to purchase the pay-per-view broadcast rights. Given the stigma and perception that I think pro wrestling and WWE has, even in the scenario that ESPN owns the pay-per-view broadcast rights, I think there would be an effort to promote WWE, but not the same effort that they would give to UFC, nor do I think the promotion would be as effective. I think there would be a mentality within ESPN, as there kind of was when there was a lot of ESPN coverage of WWE a few years ago, as there is now on Fox Sports, where WWE isn't taken very seriously. It's kind of covered, but not that seriously because it's, it's a dumb fake sport. Additionally, your audience on ESPN, or FS1 for that matter, are sports fans who I think at this stage are more prone to be talked into buying a shoot MMA event than they are 
a predetermined WWE event. And now we can have the the argument about whether or not WWE should be more sports-like or something like that. And we can have that conversation about what WWE should do. But my strong belief is WWE will not do anything that's like a sports presentation, regardless of what media platform they're on in any case, at any time in the lifetime of Vince McMahon. I don't see WWE ever presenting itself as a sports-like or more sports-like piece of content under the creative vision of Vince McMahon, and maybe not even after that, after uh, it's in control of Paul Levesque, at least not any more than the NXT product is a sports-like product, which it, it is more so than the main roster, I think. But anyway, that's ESPN+. Plus. Then there's Hulu, which has two-thirds ownership, also by Disney, one-third by Comcast, which is the parent company of NBC Universal, which is the parent company of the USA Network. Hulu, already the home for... Uh, video on demand for Raw and SmackDown and NXT. I think WWE main event as well. So there is a WWE relationship there. Next, Amazon Prime, of course, owned by Amazon. Is there a relationship there already? The WWE sells a lot of merchandise through Amazon, which is reported in the line that WWE calls e-commerce. So somewhat of a relationship there. And this brings us to a, a suggestion that Laura Martin, the analyst from Needham, has made which has been brought to a wider distribution in an excruciating article from CNBC titled, Do You Smell What Bezos Is Cooking? Amazon Could Buy the WWE, Analyst Predicts. So what I gather here is uh, Laura Martin put out uh, her latest analysis uh, through Needham, which I have not directly seen, but this, this article seems to be referencing, where Laura Martin says, We believe that such a licensing deal would put Amazon in the best spot to purchase all of WWE entire company whenever the family is ready to exit that is the mcmahon family quote vince mcmahon is currently 74 years old going on 50 martin goes on to say w's live programming is highly differentiated and its raw smackdown and nxt brands are worth more than being any one of 500 series that have no built-in audience or brand amazon did not respond to requests for comment from cnbc and just within the last couple hours of me recording this, the time right now is about 3.30 p.m. Eastern on Saturday afternoon, Stephen Mulhausen, who writes for the Sporting News, has tweeted, Source, Jeff Bezos and Amazon has expressed interest in purchasing the WWE streaming rights to their major pay-per-view events. So, so let's be clear. Th- these are two very different suggestions slash reports. What Laura Martin from Needham is saying, she is suggesting that Amazon would be a great home for WWE and for for Amazon to purchase the entire company. And Mulhausen is saying here that there is discussion or interest from Amazon for the pay-per-view broadcast rights. So I don't know if Laura Martin has heard something of substance, some real information that suggests that Amazon is one of the, the more interested parties here. Don't know. But specifically, her suggestion that Amazon uh, would, could purchase WWE itself you know, I'm, I'm still a firm believer that Vince McMahon is, in his lifetime, is never going to sell. WWE is never going to give control of this company over to somebody else. And I, I know there are people out there, people including people who have worked for Vince McMahon, who think that Vince McMahon could sell a controlling interest or more of WWE to a major corporation. But I remain unconvinced. Just everything that, uh, that's, that we seem to know about Vince McMahon's personality and decision-making process tells me that Vince McMahon values 
loyalty and he values this story of handing the business down through the family members as it was handed through him from Jess to Vince J. McMahon to himself and I, I guess to Stephanie and Hunter. And I think that's the story he wants to hand on. So I, I could see Amazon buying the rights, but I don't see Amazon or anyone else for that matter buying WWE in Vince McMahon's lifetime. And considering Amazon, I think it raises the question of live streaming, which is a question for, I think, a lot of these other possible streaming partners. And maybe I'm just making a bigger deal of this than it really is, but I, I can't, does, does Amazon ever, has Amazon ever live streamed a broadcast, an event? Does Amazon want to broadcast a live event? I don't think they've ever done anything like that before. People can tweet me and tell me I'm wrong if I am. So the same would go for Netflix. That's next on my list. Others, and as, as we get lower on the list, I think the possibilities become less likely. Netflix, which is it, its own independent company. CBS All Access, which is owned by Viacom, CBS conglomerate, seems unlikely even though, yes, WWE does have a large P50 plus audience. HBO Max is coming out soon. HBO Max owned by Warner Media, the parent company of TNT, which is broadcasting that blood and guts. AEW every Wednesday night. I, I think that's unlikely. I think uh, HBO Max or some other Warner Media owned streaming service would be more likely to do something similar like this with AEW at some point in the future. Showtime, maybe. I know Showtime was interested in AEW at one point before TNT got it. Apple TV Plus seems like an unlikely brand match. Disney Plus also seems like an unlikely brand match. It seems if, if Disney was going to do this, it would be under ESPN Plus more likely than Disney Plus. So again, my most likely candidate, in, in my opinion, is Peacock. Although we're, we're seeing some news that Amazon truly is interested. After that, I could see ESPN Plus, Hulu, maybe DAZN. So that's what I think about the potential partners. But what is WWE going to give them? Will it be WrestleMania only? Will it be just the big pay-per-views? Maybe just the big three or four? WrestleMania Royal Rumble, SummerSlam, maybe Survivor Series? Will it be all of the main roster pay-per-views, all 12 to 15 of them per year? Or could it even be all of the pay-per-views and all of the NXT takeovers? And I think given the, uh, the pricing structure of most, if not all of these, uh, these streaming services, they all charge monthly. So I think they're going to want at least one event per month. I think the most likely scenario is that WWE sells them all of the main roster pay-per-views, leave the takeovers on the WWE network so the WWE network can still have something of value left something that the streaming players would be less interested in anyway, but they get 12 to 15 pay-per-views for a year and they have one, if not two events per month to promote. Because that, that brings me to the next question. Number three is what is the streaming provider going to offer these pay-per-view events for? What's the price point that you get these events for? And I don't think we're going to ever end up back in a world where the primary way that people are watching WWE pay-per-view events which is kind of a misnomer at this point, back on traditional pay-per-view. Maybe WrestleMania. That's the only exception I can think. I can. There would be a lot of value in putting WrestleMania on a traditional pay-per-view offering because that's the biggest event. There's a ton of interest in that, and, and a lot of people would be willing to put down 60 or $70 for WrestleMania. I think ESPN or a DAZN would be more likely to do that strategy I think a Peacock or a Hulu or an Amazon is less likely to do that strategy. In general, I think it's most likely that, again, we get 12 to 15 pay-per-views that are all rolled into a monthly subscription fee, probably for 
so you can make the pitch to the, the WWE fans that you paid nine ninety nine for the network. We're going to charge you the same thing here to get the pay-per-views. And you may or may not cancel the network, but you can still get the 12 to 15 pay-per-views uh, every year for nine ninety nine a month. I think that strategy, that pricing strategy, is the easiest way to go about this with the least customer upheaval. Before we get to the next question about what's left for the W Network, I think it's an interesting sidebar to think about what happens with the Saudi Arabia events. Does the big streaming player want the Saudi Arabia events? Do they say, no, we just want the 12 or 13, and you can leave your two Saudi Arabia events to do whatever you want with them? If that's the case, does that upset the Saudi government, who is the partner, who is part of the value to the Saudi government of having W do the shows, is not just that they're there and that they're house shows, but is that they are broadcast around the world so that people around the world can watch these shows and say, oh, look, this is a wrestling event in Saudi Arabia. It doesn't look like it's that bad of a place. It looks like, you know, there, there's people here at a wrestling event and everything seems chill and okay. Uh, either way, I guess I don't see it being a big deal. If the streaming player says, no, we don't want the Saudi events, Saudi events still probably get streamed live on the W Network. I think that's good enough for them. They still get streamed live around the world, and there's still something of an audience for them, I think. But even so, I think the streaming player isn't going to be scared off uh, by the blood money. I think they, I think, the, I don't think the streaming player player would refuse to take the Saudi events. I think they would take them in a package with the rest of the usual main roster pay per views, at least until the next Saudi Arabia international incident and journalist murder. So, what's left for the network? Maybe a Saudi Arabia event? Probably not. Maybe some B pay-per-views? I think probably not. Probably takeovers. WWE's massive video library, which I would probably and a lot of others would probably still subscribe for just on that basis. Maybe the addition of, of other content? Maybe the long-awaited uh, debut of Progress and, and Evolve did have one show on the W Network already. Maybe those, uh, those brands become more regular players on the W Network. An interesting question, though, is at what, uh, with what delay do WWE pay-per-views then appear in the archive for the W Network? Is it 24 hours? Is it 30 days? Something more, something less. I think that's something of a, of a value question. I would guess 30 days, probably, which is the delay currently for episodes of Raw and SmackDown after they air on USA Network or Fox. And then the, the most confusing question to me is, what we're talking about here is probably generally a U.S. strategy. This is what becomes of pay-per-view offerings in the United States. But all these streaming services that we're talking about are not available in every country. So what happens? Maybe WWE offers these pay-per-views still to international customers as part of your subscription fee to the W Network. And a lot of international markets are already charging more than $9.99 as it is. Maybe they just go to traditional pay-per-view. I understand BT Sport is already offering W pay-per-views in a traditional pay-per-view manner. Maybe W goes back to what they were doing before the network and that they were offering, you could buy the pay-per-view uh, digitally through W.com. Maybe they go back to that in some international markets. Maybe there are other streaming partners that they could sell pay-per-view broadcast rights to, just as they sell Raw broadcast and SmackDown broadcast rights to various international broadcasters. And I would guess that long-term becomes what what happens as subscription streaming video catches on more over time in all of their international markets. In the case of Peacock, I've read that it will be offered in the UK through Sky. So maybe WWE's number one international market is covered if they go with Peacock. So that's what I've got on the possibilities of a WWE streaming partner for pay-per-view broadcast rights. You can let me know what you think. 
tweet me, email me, whatever. We're going to talk about some annual report notes from the 10K that came out on Friday morning. And we'll get to that after these important messages. Are you confused by key demographics? With WrestleNomics University, my life has completely changed. With online instruction from WrestleNomics University, I can turn anyone, even you, into a WrestleMetrician. I thought I would never figure out how to use VLOOKUP, but now I'm cross-referencing data, even doing pivot tables. Are your Google web search models just giving you a headache? Now that I know the difference between household TV ratings and P2 Plus viewership, employers are basically knocking down my door. Unsure how to calculate compound annual growth rate? Before I earned my degree with WrestleNomics University, I used to get in bitter arguments with my friends about the attendance at WrestleMania 3. All payments must be made via gift card and transferred to a Swiss bank. Exchange to Bitcoin, then sent to the WrestleNomics PayPal account marked as a gift. WrestleNomics University cannot be held liable for fraud or the violation of your privacy data. Now I'm able to seek out people on Twitter and show them that they're wrong with real data. Enroll in WrestleNomics University today. This program is brought to you by Cynicism, discouraging the American electorate since 1789, and by Irony, the song of the bird who's learned to love its cage. And we're back. So we're going to run through the annual report, 79 pages, only some of them interesting. So basically with each of these quarterly reports, WD puts out an earnings press release and then later on in the day, usually, there's a quarterly report, which is longer and more detailed. And then for Q4, instead of there being a quarterly report, there is an annual report. So the annual report actually didn't come out on the day of the, of the conference call and the earnings release, but came out the day after, the morning after, in fact. So here are some of the interesting things we learned. Each year, they give a count of the talent who are under contract both main roster and developmental, the number of wrestlers under contract to WWE, approximately 300. The report says we currently have approximately 300 superstars under exclusive contracts, ranging from multi-year guaranteed contracts with established superstars to developmental contracts with our superstars in training. Our superstars are highly trained and motivated independent contractors whose compensation is tied to the revenue that they help generate. We own the rights to substantially all our characters and exclusively license the rights we do not own through agreements with our superstars. End quote. For, for more on that, check the U.S. Patent Office. So I, I don't have the time or, or really the expertise with the U.S. Patent Office searches to, uh, to look into all that right now. But, but we do know 300 wrestlers under contract. That number has doubled since they reported 150 for 2015. 285 in 2016. 200 in 2017, 215 in 2018, and now 300. At one point here, I, I went back and collected this number from 2001 to the present, and then the number from 2001 through about 2015, it just fluctuates between you know 140, 130 to 170. And it's only in the last four years that that number has gone above 170. So more brands, more competition perhaps more uh, companies to keep talent away from, but also more brands, NXT, NXT UK, 205 Live. The report notes that 70% of our current active main rosters, such as Bray Wyatt, Bailey, The Revival, Shinsuke Nakamura, and Carmella were developed in NXT, which always raises the, the issue of, you know, it's, it's, it seems to the lay reader that, uh, you know, these wrestlers, particularly Nakamura in that sentence, never did anything outside of WWE. 
And it was the NXT Performance Center, which trained them and gave them everything they know. Again, this this uh, reinforces the idea we talked about, I think, in a couple episodes ago, where it would be uh, an interesting study, maybe something I'll do at some point, to take the entire roster and try to look at, all right, how many matches did this person have before they entered the WWE developmental system, or WWE in general? And what is really the output of the Performance Center at this point? going on its seventh year of existence. Also, we learned that 60% of the roster comes from outside the U.S. Again, by the way, a lot of these notes are just updates of notes that they publish in this report every year. So it's not as if what I'm reading are the the kinds of things that I'm reading for the first time, and oh my God, they chose, they they always put very similar information in here. It's just sort of in it. They update certain numbers or they update the sentences slightly. So what I'm trying to go through here, for the most part, are uh, important differences and things we learned that we didn't know previously. There is a paragraph in each annual report about competition. And it's a paragraph that's about six lines long. And one of these sentences has changed ever so slightly. In 2008, this sentence read, For our live event and media content audiences, we face competition from professional and college sports, other live, filmed, televised, and streamed entertainment, and other leisure activities. In 2019... Everything in the paragraph is exactly the same, except for a small change, again, to that sentence. We face competition from professional and college sports, other live film, televised, and streamed entertainment, which includes other professional wrestling leagues and other leisure activities. So other professional wrestling leagues, in addition to the list of things that are competition. So I guess that's because in 2019, AEW, All Elite Wrestling launched, and uh, maybe not AEW alone. There is New Japan Pro Wrestling out there, Ring of Honor, Impact Wrestling, MLW even signing people to certain types of contracts. Moving on in the report, W reports that they have 960 corporate employees. That's up from last year's count of 915. W makes clear that that count does not include their talent who are independent contractors. And no, none of those employees even are represented by a union. Uh, each year, W lists a number of risk factors they added one. I th- they seem to be listed it by order of importance. Uh, there is a new risk factor that was the second risk factor listed, which is headlined, our failure to compete effectively in a rapidly evolving media landscape could adversely affect our operating results. And I won't read the whole paragraph. It's quite long. You can look at the annual report for yourself if you like on the W Corporate website. But it's interesting that this paragraph is added when there seemed to be some sort of disagreement between Vince McMahon and the party of George Barrios and Michelle Wilson about what to do with media strategy and what to do with the W Network and what to do with pay-per-view rights, which it seems to be was the a major issue leading to the exits of the former co-presidents. Average North American ticket price for main roster events continues to rise, as it has in most years over the last 10 years or so, up to $64. Of course, at the same time, average attendance has declined. Now, we should keep in mind that when we see average ticket price rise here, it's not necessarily indicative of the fact that the average ticket that is being put on sale is rising as much as it probably is when you've got attendance going down at the same time, that the the premium tickets make up the greater portion of the tickets that are sold. And those tend to be the more expensive tickets, of course. So the average ticket that is sold ends up being higher because the greater portion of them are the more expensive tickets. Not just necessarily that WWE is upping the price for their tickets, which may be a factor as well, but also maybe not. NXT, which we do get some uh, attendance data on, 
They separate NXT from the main roster live event and attendance data. NXT had its lowest attendance year since WWE started to report data about NXT in 2016. So we've got our fourth year of NXT doing a full year of a tour. Total attendance and average attendance lower than in the other three years prior. About 139,000 total paid tickets, an average of about 745 per event, down from last year's total attendance of 147,000, an average attendance of about 800. And again, that lower than either 2016 or 2017 as well. Average NXT ticket price about flat at $44, about the same last year. Number of events has been pretty consistent throughout uh, the last four years. Uh, This year, 186. Year before that, 183. Year before that, 188. Year before that, 189. That includes the Florida Loop and the wider National Loop. Revenue from NXT Live events, about $6 million, down slightly from $6.5 million in the year prior. Speaking of NXT, after reading the annual report, still no idea how much money NXT makes from the USA Network. Again, as I said last time, if NXT was making a lot of revenue from the USA Network, I think there would be not a number named, but there would be some sort of sentence either in the conference call or somewhere in the the reporting itself to indicate that NXT has a, a good deal with USA Network. So I'm, I'm guessing that, and I don't want to put a number on it either, I, I'm guessing that the, the deal that NXT has with USA Network is not very strong. Venue merch per head for main roster events, about flat for the year. Uh, especially strong in Q2, which contained WrestleMania. E-commerce orders, online orders, down in each quarter. So merchandise revenues, both at venues and online, continuing the pattern of decline since peaking in 2017. Also in the consumer products category, licensing revenues decreased by 2.8 million, or 6%, WWE says, primarily driven by lower royalties for the sale of our video games. I'm guessing the WWE 2K20 did worse sales probably related to the bad reviews and dissatisfaction with that game. Interestingly, it looks like WWE hasn't been paid yet for the uh, Saudi Arabia events on October 31st. WWE had the same problem uh, related, I don't know if this is a problem necessarily, but WWE also was paid late. WWE was paid for the June 7 event sometime in October. And this has not been the case with uh, Saudi Arabia events prior to the June 7th event they seem to have been paid more quickly. So you can see in the accounts receivable line that there's a lot more money there than is normally there. WWE even writes in uh, under the cash flows from operating activities paragraph that, quote, the $65 million decrease in the current year was driven by lower operating performance, coupled with the timing of collections associated with our Crown Jewel event, which was held in October 2019. WWE says in the concentration of credit risk, paragraph that the largest receivable they have from a single customer makes up 49% of our gross accounts receivable. So we can do the math. The accounts receivable line is about $125 million. 49% of that is $61 million. So maybe that's how much money the, the Saudi government owes them related to the October 31st crown jewel event. It's notable though, that in the other media segment where they do the reporting for the, the Saudi events, that they only reported $56 million. So maybe that includes uh, interest charges. You know, so th- this is not necessarily delinquent. This is not necessarily scandalous. It's possible that this is just part of an agreement between the Saudi government and WWE that they're going to pay on, on a certain timeline. 
you know, there was a lot of speculation, as far as we know, only speculation, that part of the reason why WWE Talent was stranded in Riyadh for about a day was over disputes between WWE or Vince McMahon and the Saudi government about payment for, the, for that June 7th event. Or maybe it was related to the MENA broadcast deal with NBC, which is owned by the Saudi government. WWE says it was just because of a mechanical issue with the aircraft, though. But it looks like, again, that the Saudi government uh, has not completed the payment for an event, uh, at least not quickly after, for the second event in a row. Whether that's meaningful or not is something to watch for in the future. If there are some sort of problems again on February 27th when WWE goes back to Saudi Arabia, maybe we'll keep that in mind. WWE spent less money this year, or when I say this year, I mean 2019, spent less money on the WWE Network, on WWE Network programming, Maybe as they realize it's really the, the pay-per-views, the in-ring content, and the takeovers that drive subscriptions and viewing. WWE's $32 million corporate jet is paid off in monthly installments of $406,000. The same as your car payment, right? Should be paid off by August. This is the, the WWE-branded Bombardier Global 5000 aircraft, which was purchased in August 2013. Finally going to have full ownership later this August. And as, as I record this, the... Uh, who are these teams here? The Dragons, the Seattle, maybe Dragons, and the DC something are playing on my TV right now. The first XFL game of XFL 2.0 live on ABC is on my TV on mute right now. And W entered into a support services agreement to provide Alpha Entertainment, the parent company of XFL, to give them certain administrative support services, which are billed to Alpha on a cost plus margin basis. For 2019, W billed Alpha $3.25 million up from last year's bill of $1.3 million. So yes, Vince McMahon, uh, as he specified multiple times on the conference call, Alpha, that is XFL's parent company, and WB are two totally separate entities, although WB employees are doing some XFL work, which the XFL is paying for, paying WB for. However, a, a complaint from the Oklahoma Firefighters Pension and Retirement System is very suspicious and is alleging that perhaps there are conflicts of interest and that Alpha is getting a favorable rate from WB for this, or at least they haven't disclosed it otherwise. In addition to that, uh, in addition to that, they're also suspicious that the intellectual property was sold to Alpha from WB at a lower rate than is favorable to shareholders. And a number of other conflicts of interest, including that KNL Gates, Mystic Man's favored law firm, is a represented both entities in a as it relates to the intellectual property that lawsuit though was not named in the annual report which does name lawsuits they only list the concussion lawsuit which is i guess still ongoing even though i've from what i understand it's not going very well for the plaintiffs uh th that the concussion lawsuit uh brought by kairos and, and a number of former wrestlers uh, that is listed in, in the lawsuit the lawsuit that i just mentioned from the oklahoma firefighters pension and retirement fund there is no mention of so Let's talk about customers and maybe economic justice. There is a line, a paragraph in the annual report headlined customers. And it reads, our customers include content distributors of our media content through their networks and platforms. Fans who purchase tickets to our live events, purchase our merchandise at venues or online through our e-commerce platforms and subscribers to the W Network. Advertisers and sponsors, consumer product licensees and film distributors. As noted elsewhere, we have several important partners, including NBCU, who carries the domestic television distribution of Raw and NXT, Fox Network, who domestically distributes SmackDown, 
and the General Entertainment Authority of the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia, who, among other things, hosts our live events in the Middle East. So I recall the WrestleNomics hierarchy of influence uh, infographic here, which has Vince McMahon at the top of the pyramid, followed by business partners, followed by corporate executives, followed by mainstream media, followed by W Talent, followed by fans and wrestling media at the bottom. So this paragraph just kind of makes clear, in a matter-of-fact way, that W's customers are distributors who distribute their media, that is, their TV programs. Fans, too, who purchase tickets and merchandise, who are subscribers to the W Network, but also advertisers and sponsors, product licensees, that would be like Mattel and 2K Sports, the big TV networks that carry them, NBCU and Fox and other international distributors, named specifically the General Entertainment Authority of the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia. There's a lot of other big corporations and even a big government that are their customers besides the fans. And, and I don't want to get like too cynical here, but more think about the narrative of how W has really changed over the last few decades. How maybe the model of, of big time, big business wrestling has changed over the last several years. You know, once upon a time, this was a business that was dependent on selling tickets to wrestling fans. There was little money in TV. There certainly weren't streaming services. Eventually, there was pay-per-view that you had to sell to the consumer, which you partnered with a distributor for. You sold merchandise directly to the consumers, maybe with a partner helping you make that sale. But particularly over the last few years, as the value of live sports has exploded, and as the value of WTV rights have exploded, more and more of W's revenue comes not directly from fans, but from business partners. Recall when there was outrage over... Uh, the WrestleMania Battle Royal being named after Fabulous Moolah, that no amount of fan outcry changed WWE's mind. It, it was concern from the Mars Corporation, as Snickers was the official sponsor of WrestleMania. It was a press release from Mars that forced WWE's hand to change the name of that Women's Battle Royal at WrestleMania a few years ago. In 2014, WWE got an upgrade in its TV rights fees for Raw and SmackDown, Although not as big of a deal as it was expecting, still an upgrade. And then in 2018, they finalized the deal that just went into effect in October, representing a 3.6x increase in TV rights fees. And that brings us to the present, where on Thursday, Vince McMahon appears ready to sell the rights of pay-per-views to a major streaming player. And if that happens, no longer will pay-per-views be primarily sold through traditional pay-per-view, which it hasn't been the case for a number of years. But no longer will pay-per-views be offered through their direct-to-consumer streaming service, at least not in the U.S., but instead those two will be sold to a major business partner for more money than you, the collective consumer, can pay for it. Wrestling fans, in a sense, will be outbid. And I sense in response to a lot of W news, and economic W news in particular, that there's kind of a, a hope or an expectation or, or a waiting for WWE to pay the economic price for what some feel is its dissatisfying product. If WWE will not listen to the words of some of its fans, surely it will listen when they speak with their wallets, when TV viewership declines, when attendance declines, when merchandise sales decline, when WWE network subscriptions decline. But WWE instead just finds another more lucrative route. And is such a strategy sustainable in this as George Barrios once called it, media ecosystem in the increasingly fragmented entertainment world. Maybe. It is for now, at least. At least in the case of a brand that is as strong and as popular and as global 
as WWE is. So for now, WWE continues to be a product that a lot of people don't like, and others do, and others vigorously defend it. And the company continues to take about $100 million annually from Kingdom of Saudi Arabia. The company continues to likely misclassify its wrestlers as independent contractors, so they do not have to provide them with health insurance or tax contributions or retirement benefits. So with another possible big media rights deal on the horizon for WWE, while its metrics that relate to popularity and relate to direct-to-consumer sales are in a trajectory of decline, the business deals continue to be very rewarding. So if you are looking for economic justice, in WWE's case, you will not find it here. So now that I've depressed you, thanks for listening. Thanks to the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network for being my media distribution partner for Wrestling Lounge Radio. And I'll talk to you next time. Bye.